The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show today is about protecting businesses from mass tort lawsuits and different kinds of lawsuits and we have a wonderful guest with us, and he happens to be the author of Verdict for the Defense, Fighting Jackpot Justice with Firewall Defense Strategies. And so let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest. Robert J. Harrington is a trial lawyer and partner at Greenberg Traurig, and he focuses on complex commercial litigation, including class actions in the area of false advertising, unfair competition, consumer products, securities, labor, and mass tort cases, as well as intellectual property litigation. And he is the author of this new book called Verdict for the Defense by Sutton Hart Press. And this book delivers a blueprint for business leaders to defend their companies against the growing risk of mass action and class action liability. Rob is a frequent speaker at business events. He's a law professor and he serves clients in California. And he is based in beautiful Santa Monica. That's where his office is. You can learn more about him at Rob. Harrington.com and about Verdict for the Defense, that book, you can visit Sutton, S-U-T-T-O-N, Hart.com. So thank you so much, Robert, for for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, we, we look at these issues of mass tort and all these problems that arise. Some of them are really good consumer suits that are important. And sometimes we have these lawsuits that are really heavy handed on businesses that really are sometimes just for the class action attorneys rather than for the the consumers. So let's talk a little bit about what's the difference between class action and mass actions. Mari, I really agree with what you just said. Uh, these types of cases, class actions and mass actions, can create incredible exposure for companies, situations where companies, even though they believe they may have good defenses and that they really didn't do anything wrong, where the risk that they are wrong about their defense is just so great because there are so many claims and because you end up having those claims essentially just adjudicated one time, that if the business leaders do get it wrong, 
then the risk is so high and the exposure is so high that oftentimes companies aren't willing to take that risk and they simply settle. And so this this concept of class action versus mass action, a mass action, they're they're similar in some ways, they're different in others. A mass action is simply a, a group of claims where all the individuals stay involved in the case. They have their own individual claim but they're grouped together through procedural devices um, that help try to streamline the case. A class action is a very specific type of mass action where you essentially have one person trying to represent a whole bunch of other people who are absent, don't even participate. And the mass action is really best for judicial economy, right? Because if you have quite a few cases, at least it can be all handled by the same court, and then some of the same issues arise. It actually is a savings to some extent, isn't it? I think that's right. There are times when these procedural devices can be really useful, and companies, you know, they're not all bad and they're not all good, just like anything, and it's the the risk of these types of cases and the potential exposure that a company can face is what I want businesses to understand. Uh, but there are times when these procedural devices can and, and should be used, um, just as long as they're not abused. Right. And and I think we have to kind of look at, really, there are some class actions that are really important and make valuable changes, and they're really important, but there's a lot of class actions that basically, you know, I was involved as an expert for, the, for defense cases on the uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act, the FACTA cases, when different companies had um, taken credit cards and exposed the expiration date on the credit card. Yep. And they were trying to say that that causes, the, the class action plaintiff attorneys were saying that that causes identity theft. And I was the expert, and I can tell you, as much as I am a real strong consumer advocate, those were the most ridiculous cases. And unfortunately, um, you have to know that the expiration date is not even used as an exact match. And I I gave numerous examples in my uh, own expert witness testimony to show that those you those receipts that expose the expiration date the expiration date is not a unique number and you and i might have the same expiration date and it's not even used as an exact match like the credit card number so it drove me nuts and i felt terrible about it because i thought that these companies were were getting sued and it was costing a fortune in litigation fees and expert fees etc cetera, etc cetera. and and so that was really i thought Terrible. So I actually went to Congress and helped them change that law. But but those kinds of cases are absolutely horrible. But then when you have cases that someone is really injured, maybe there is some, you know, uh, maybe some medicine or something that pe- sure. that's killing people, then I think those are really legitimate. So it's it's hard to, to even decipher whether something's legitimate or not, isn't it, Rob? I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the, the points you just made about the, the fact of the Fair Credit Reporting Act litigation uh, spills over and is something that is I discuss in my book. The, the concept here it, with, with some of these federal statutes and some state statutes is that these cases are brought and there is what's called statutory damages that a plaintiff and plaintiff's lawyers can try to obtain on behalf of not just one person, but when you put the case in the context of a class action or a mass action, on behalf of thousands or potentially millions of people. Exactly. And so when you have a statutory damages provision, they don't even have to show harm. 
And there was a recent case that was decided last year by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal where there used to be arguments that, that defense lawyers could make about uh, proportionality and whether or not if there really wasn't any actual harm, then you shouldn't have a class action because you're going to end up with huge statutory damages that put companies at risk for no clear reason. And very disproportionate to, to even what was done. That's right. Uh, but, but now, at least in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, which is the federal circuit that governs or, or sits over courts in California, federal courts in California, uh, at least for one type of statute, that's no longer the case. So it, really, it's, it's a wake-up call, I think, for businesses and business leaders to make sure they're trying to take steps to protect their companies against this type of entrepreneurial or opportunistic litigation where the company ends up facing massive exposure in the millions or billions of dollars and simply can't afford to take the risk that they might lose because even a 10 to 20% risk of losing times you know, millions or billions of dollars in exposure is just way too much for most business leaders to put their company at risk. Right. So let's talk about the primary subjects of mass torts. Let's just give me an overview. What are they? Sure. You know, mass torts and class actions can be can, can fall into a number of different areas. The most prominent, though, people think of securities litigation, where someone is suing because they claim they were defrauded in the purchase or sale of, of stocks or bonds. You also have uh, claims that uh, consumers bring, where they claim for cons- make consumer fraud claims. You know, the fact of litigation sort of falls within that rubric. There's also a, a whole series of, of lawsuits that are filed. Uh, that typically people think of as class actions but are really mass actions over product liability disputes. So you have an automobile or a drug or a medical device or some other product that is causing injury and the or is allegedly causing injury, and there are a number of cases brought, thousands oftentimes, and those cases can be consolidated through different procedures into a mass action where the company, yes, they have the benefit maybe of not having to litigate case after case after case, but at the same time, you often will have maybe one, two, three, very few trials where, again, if you're wrong, you can have massive ramifications. Exactly. And we had that recent case in California, in the California Supreme Court ruling that a retailer uh, can't ask for the zip code because it's private information, which is covered by the consumer privacy laws. And um, that that would look like a victory for consumers. And I think what they found was even with, with that zip code, they were able to really come back and do tracking and find out you know, more about them from using the zip code. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and your thoughts about that? Sure. I'm I'm glad you brought that litigation up because it actually is reminiscent, I think, of 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 the the fact of litigation you referenced where there was uh, a company was alleged to have disclosed the date on on somebody's credit card, the expiration date. Here we have a case or a series of cases where now, under at least California law, it potentially is a violation for a California company or a California opera- company operating in California to request a person's zip code when they're checking out and making a purchase with a credit card. And again, the, 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 the issue here becomes it, it, that it is very difficult in these kinds of cases to see exactly how, as in your fact of litigation, how anyone was actually harmed. 
how knowing the zip code of, of a consumer is really going to cause anybody any actual harm. This statute that the case was decided under, California's Credit Card Act, allows for up to $1,000 per violation. So companies at this point are now facing a situation where they are potentially at risk thousands or millions of potential trans- of potential transactions and and the rub is that is that this was billed i think by some people as a very consumer protect consumer friendly decision i think it also creates some real challenges for consumers and certainly for businesses because there are many times for example protecting against uh, identity theft and and making sure that the person using the credit card is actually entitled to use the credit card where businesses are legitimately asking for this type of information so that they can run identity checks. And it becomes a a challenge under these statutes to determine whether or not that's permissible. Well, if they run the credit card through, all right, if they run it through their machines, the, the metal stripe already has all that information has at least some of that information. Well, it has, yeah, it has most of that information. It will have the address and it will have the zip code on there. Now, um, if you're ordering online, you have to give the zip code if you want it sent to you. So the, the, the issue is it doesn't relate to online or fax uh, orders or phone orders where you don't have the product right there and you don't have your card. It's only where the card is present, not where the card is not present. You know, it's interesting you make comment, and it's certainly a rational conclusion that the there in some online businesses that are online who are in class actions under this statute. Yeah. And, and because how are you think to that person? I think I guess the only agree with you probably shouldn't have been filed, but they were. And they're out there, and they're of dollars. See, those are the kinds that drive me crazy. It's, it just seems so outrageous and a fine that for the online one, that they have to ask for that. And all you have to do is show the merchant account rules that that has to be put in. So you're asking a business to violate the merchant account rules. It, it, it's interesting that when you take a, a very close look at some of the merchant account rules and some of the agreements that companies have with their merchant processors, you find that, that you, you wish that it could be a little bit clearer, actually a lot clearer, in terms of, of, of what obligations are out there to collect this information. Um, it's another sort of wake-up call, I think, for businesses to make sure that they are aware of what their agreements provide and to make sure that, that their practices are, are really designed to try to limit their risk of being subjected to these kinds of lawsuits. Because even though they appear really to, to not have a lot of merit, they're being filed and companies are having to deal with them. Yes. And then what they're doing because they want to just mitigate their losses from all the uh, law firm fees and, and all the court fees and the time and effort away is that they're settling. And that's what a lot of the plaintiff right. attorneys are really counting on. That's exactly right. They're counting on the negative publicity, they're counting on the expense, and they're counting on the risk that, that, that a lot of business leaders just are unwilling to take of being wrong in these kinds of cases. And, and they're, they're counting on those factors to really file this litigation, assuming that at least a significant portion are going to settle and they're going to get paid. And you know what really irks me is I'm a very strong privacy and, and consumer advocate. And so I think that these consumers, because then when there's really an important case, what it does is it influences Congress to not allow a private right of action. 
So, so in essence, they those kinds of cases which have really no merit, but force companies to just succumb and and just pay off the you know and settle. Those really hurt those legitimate plaintiff attorneys who are trying to bring really important cases where people are injured or hurt and they have to make changes. It really hurts those cases because I noticed that there are there's a very strong push in Congress to disallow a private right of action, which would include these class actions and even individual plaintiff actions. I, 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 re- I, I really agree with what you just said. I, I think there are cases in class actions and plaintiff's attorneys that really are out there trying to do the right thing and making some important arguments uh, in favor of consumers that really need to and should be addressed. At the same time, you have these kinds of cases which can give, I think are giving class actions and mass actions a bad name. The, the one point I want to just draw out, you mentioned the private right of action, which th- that that Congress will, in certain instances, simply decide that it is too risky or too problematic to allow people to sue under a given federal statute. The, the, the wake-up callers, the, the make, I want to make sure business leaders are aware of, at least if they're operating in California, is that there is a statute in California that, notwithstanding Congress's decision not to allow a private right of action, there is the statute called the Unfair Competition Law in California where, at least in some instances, plaintiff's lawyers are allowed to bring uh, cases under this unfair competition law claiming violations of a federal law that doesn't contain a private right of action. And so those cases really, again, are creating a risk for businesses that it is important that business leaders be aware of and are, are finding ways to, to deal with those risks. I think it's very hard for small business owners, and, and in this country, the majority of businesses are small business owners. That's right. Not everybody is Walmart, and and right. Walmart can have in-house counsel, and many small businesses don't have in-house counsel, and they are, it's very hard for them to keep up with the employment laws and you know, every all the different kinds of laws, the securities laws, all the banking laws, all, everything that applies to them, maybe through their merchant account, it's very, very hard. What do you suggest? And, and here we are. We're, we're actually, you know, on the campus of the University of California, Irvine. There's all these businesses all around us in Newport Beach. We're talking about tons of businesses that, that aren't necessarily these huge businesses, but they're small to medium-sized businesses. What do you suggest for them? You know, it, it is really a challenge for small businesses, like you said, to understand and be able to deal with a lot of these changes and a lot of these laws that are out there because they do create risk. I think here's the, the good news for some smaller businesses and, and uh, entrepreneurs. Class actions work, at least you can argue about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But class actions work because of this concept of, of leverage. And when you, you, you need for a class action to have a large pool of consumers and often a large pool of money that a, a plaintiff and a plaintiff's lawyer are willing to try to go after before you really see a substantial risk of being faced with one of these types of, of, of lawsuits. So the companies that really are at the greatest risk of facing this type of litigation are the larger companies. Uh, 
the companies that have been around. And, and so as you, the, the lesson, I think, for small businesses and the lesson for entrepreneurs is that as you start to get your business off the ground and as you start to really grow your revenue, you want to take a look during that process as you become more sophisticated at what steps you can take to limit your risk as you start to grow and become bigger. Because once you do become bigger, you'll, you'll be on that radar screen and you'll be potentially be at risk of facing one of these cases. You know, Rob, I'll tell you, one of the saddest cases that I was an expert on was this case for a small restaurant in Orange County that was sued on the fact of... Uh, yeah. Uh, credit card receipt and um, that was really horrible because it it literally puts a lot of businesses out of business it it, it happened to several that I that I work with it they almost they filed bankruptcy no and I think you bring up a really good point because the other thing that a, a company can do a small business can do Take a look. Most small businesses even are, are having some sort of, of general liability policy, which if you work with a broker or a good you know, insurance coverage attorney can be crafted and, and put in place in such a way that can provide protection for these kinds of cases. So the, the other thing to do when you, when you don't have a budget to really have in-house counsel or uh, expend money on outside counsel is to take a look at your insurance coverage and make sure you're getting the most bang for your buck on this issue, um, as well as all the other issues that a company might face exactly. as they're growing. Exactly. And even small business, even even someone who works out of their home and has an Internet business can be sued. You know, so, you know, just if you're driving by and you think, well, this doesn't apply to me, I think you might want to consider very strongly picking up Rob Harrington's book, Verdict for the Defense, Fighting Jackpot Justice with Firewall Defense Strategies. I think that's a good thing to do. Also, you know, go in and and take some classes at the community colleges and and learn what you have to do. And like he said, speak to your insurance carrier and say, look, I want to have some protection here. Because, I, I, you know, if I'm sued for something, I want to be careful, if, you know, whether it's sexual harassment or wrongful termination or some kind of class action about something with your merchant account. Yes. Make sure that you are, um, you know, that you're educated. It's a lot to know. I'll tell you, nowadays with trying to keep up with the Internet and trying to have something on LinkedIn or Facebook and trying to be everything is very hard for small businesses these days. I, I couldn't agree more, Mari. That, that it's really an important thing for companies and business leaders to be taking a look at to really protect themselves. You spend all this time, you spend the, all the energy to, to, to build and to grow a business only to have it attacked uh, by one of these types of cases. It, it's, it's really unfortunate. And there are steps that business leaders, that entrepreneurs can take to start to protect themselves. And it's important to, to, to make sure they know that. Well, why don't we talk about some real concrete steps that, sure. that, that people should take? Because, like I said, we have small and large and medium-sized businesses that listen in. And we're here at a university, which is a business, too, that can be sued. <laughs> Hopefully not, but yes. <laughs> well, they have been. So, sure. so let's talk about it. No, I, you know, I think one of the first things that a company should think about doing or business leaders should think about doing is make sure – you understand what your contracts with your consumers say. Just about every company that's out there doing business has some type of agreement that they're entering into with their, with their customers. And through you know, carefully planning and paying attention to the terms of those agreements, making sure that the key terms 
are fairly and fully disclosed, making sure that sort of some of the firewall, the, the liability firewall protections that can be put in place through consumer protection agreements, like arbitration clauses, like limitation on liability provisions, like venue selection clauses, that those are thought through. So why don't you help my audience understand what you mean by venue selection? Sure. A venue provision, Mari, is simply a provision in a contract where the parties agree that they're going to have their dispute adjudicated or decided by a judge in a specific jurisdiction. So you might agree, for example, that you'll have your case decided in California, or some businesses, a lot of businesses, have a presence in New York, and they'll agree that it should be adjudicated there. The, the, the issue you see is a lot of times companies don't give a lot of thought to having one of these provisions in their contracts, and, and they will end up in a jurisdiction. There's a whole series of jurisdictions across the country where the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has identified, as they call them, judicial hell holes, which is a, a, a very charged word, but the basic idea is that these are jurisdictions that are very challenging for businesses to litigate in, whereas there are others that are not. And so there are ways to include, they're called venue provisions in contracts, in contracts to try to make sure that you are having your case decided in a place that is, is the most fair. Well, that makes a lot of sense in putting that into contracts. You know, how about pre-litigation mediation? I know that, you know, you talk in your book about the idea of that most litigation is unnecessary and how crazy that is. Why aren't we pushing more for pre-litigation mediation? You know, how about putting into contracts that before a lawsuit is filed, the parties will engage in good faith mediations? How about that? I I think that you bring up a really good point. There, just too many lawsuits, I think, are are caused by what are are honest errors a lot of times, where people get their nose bent out of shape and, and it shouldn't have gone that way. And so I think companies can really benefit from focusing on customer service, from focusing on the customer complaint process, making sure that those issues are taken seriously and handled by people who really know what they are doing, and by including one of these types of provisions that you're talking about, that if there is a problem, that the the parties will sit down with somebody who is neutral and have a, a discussion before you get into the litigation process. That can provide a quick way to provide, find a resolution, but it also can you know, strategically provide a company with notice that they really do have a problem, potentially, and some changes need to be made. So I think that's a really good and an important suggestion. And I think what you said is even more important, is when, you get a, when someone has a problem, you need to let people know right up front, like maybe on your website, if you ever have any concern Call this number, and we will always be there to talk to you so that you don't file a lawsuit first and talk later. You know, you just, you immediately talk to someone. And one of the things I've been doing, having my own business for 26 years, if I've got someone who's got a problem or they they even appear to have a problem, I'll say, hey, let's talk. I don't charge you for any time that you just tell me what's on your mind, what, you know, any concerns that you have maybe about our relationship. And thank God I've never been sued and it's never, I've never had to go to mediation. I've never had to do anything except have a, a conversation and just listen and hear what they say. And 
many times when you just understand or you try and help them, it resolves the thing without any further ado. You know, you know I think that's a really, really good point. But and there are there are business leaders out there uh, that that are have written books and that are talking about this exact concept. It is really sort of changing the mindset to make sure that you are you're almost looking at your customer service and your complaint resolution departments or people as really an investment, almost part of your marketing. It is a direct contact with the customer, and it may be your last best chance to avoid a costly uh, piece of litigation. So if you can handle those, identify and then handle those disputes quickly and, and without getting the lawyers involved, it really can benefit a company and can reduce their risk. Right. And then if they can't do it face-to-face, maybe they can do like you and I were just talking about, having a third-party neutral to sit down and see if they can resolve it. Believe it or not, we are out of time. I just want to say thank you, Rob Harrington, and we're going to tell people to look for your book, Verdict for the Defense. Why don't you just give your two websites and then we'll go. Sure, Mari. Thank you again. I really appreciated the time. Again, my website is robharrington.com. That's R-O-B-H-E-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. And then verdictforthedefense.com is the book's website. We will have you back again. You just keep in touch with us, okay? You're terrific. Great, Mari. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for Privacy Piracy and visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. And write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. See our upcoming guests, download podcasts, and have a great day. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.